everyone. Um, I'm Jem or Jemima or those are the main two. <laughs> um, it's so nice to be with you guys this morning. Um, as Duncan said, we are continuing our series in Exodus. We've been in Exodus since way back in September. We've gone on a big old journey with Moses and the people of Israel. Um, and we're almost drawing to a close um, now. Um, but we've got a few more messages left, and they're good ones. So... <laughs> um, this message that we um, or bit that we're looking at today, this passage, it follows very closely on from what happened last week, um, almost like a part two. So if you were here last week, you might hear some of like similar ideas or themes coming through. Um, um, and so we're just going to look at those in a bit more depth. If you weren't here last week, that is absolutely fine. I'm going to catch us all up, um, and we'll, we'll do it together. I also want to just say before we start that this passage that we're looking at, it is a bit when you first read it, it's a bit strange, um, and it's easy to kind of not really know what's happening, not really understand what's going on. Um, and so if, as we're reading it, you're like, why is God doing these things? Um, or like, why is he saying that? That's fine. Like, oh, it's, it's fine when you're reading the Bible if you're reading things, and it's, it's confusing, and it's not obvious immediately what's happening. But we'll, we'll go through it together. I'm excited. So I'm going to recap what we've seen in Exodus. We saw the people of Israel all enslaved in Egypt, um, and then Moses being brought out of Egypt and called out um, and called out of a desert by God from a burning bush and sent back to the Israelites in Egypt, and then him like miraculously leading all of the people out of slavery through these huge like signs and wonders, parting of the sea, this like huge exodus of the people of, Israel, um, of the Israelites out of Egypt. Um, and then we've seen the, those people in the desert um, by this mountain after having been rescued from slavery. And what happens next is God has made a covenant with his people, like a, a bit like a marriage contract with his people, pledging himself to them and them to him, and he's like forming them into this like brand new baby nation. Um, and then last week, um, or um, we were with Moses on the mountain as he was receiving the law. And we saw that as Moses was on the mountain receiving this like marriage contract that was going to be for the people, the people, um, all of these Israelites who have been led out of slavery by this mighty God, were busy making a golden calf, a golden cow for them to worship and happily proclaiming that this cow we've just made is probably the, the God that's led us out of Egypt. Um, as God was pledging himself to the people, the people were worshipping an idol that they had just made. Now this is a king because the covenant with God was like a marriage contract. It's like having an affair on your honeymoon. Um, the people of Israel were like bafflingly unfaithful to this God that had just rescued and redeemed them. And so last week, we saw God's anger at that. We saw Moses' anger at that. And then we saw Moses like advocate and plead for the people that God wouldn't destroy them despite this like huge sin and idolatry that they've just committed. And we see that in response to Moses' prayers, God relented and he didn't destroy the people. And so it's immediately after that that our passage today picks up. So we're in Exodus 33, and we're going to read from verse 1. It says... The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people who you've brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your offspring, I will give it. 
I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people, you are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onwards. So God opens this interaction with Moses um, by repeating promises that he'd made to Abraham a long time ago to bring his descendants into this promised land where they would be blessed, where they would have peace. Um, and he's repeating this and kind of reminding Moses of this promise, bringing him back onto the, like, the schedule and the path and what we're doing next. But it's baffling to me that God would be saying this in light of what has just happened, in light of this great idolatry that Israel have just committed. How faithful is this God that still he is committed to the promises he has made to the people. Still, he is committed to bringing them into this promised land that they will be his chosen people um, in this place that he has planned for them. But as well as, as well as reminding Moses of this promise, as well as recommitting himself to be faithful to these promises that he's made, he says another thing. He says that he is not going to go with them. He is not going to be in their midst. And that is devastating. That, like, proclamation has the potential here to change almost all of redemptive history. History, This could be pivotal. This God who, while Moses was on the mountain, was, was telling him to build a tent for him, a tabernacle, because God was saying he was going to tabernacle with his people. He was going to pitch his tent in the center of their camp so that they could be a people that moved with their God. They could be a people that could draw near and have intimate relationship with him. Soon after this, God is now saying that that plan is cancelled. He is not going. He will not be with them. And what's changed is their idolatry. It's their sin. It's that golden calf that they made. Because idolatry is serious. It matters. Um, and it has consequence. And although we saw last week that Moses has pleaded for the people and made atonement for them, we saw the consequence of this idolatry. Um, and we saw then God agreeing not to destroy them over this. He's now saying, but despite the fact that I will not destroy you, despite the fact that I, like, um, like he's, he's forgiven his people, he can't go with them. And he tells them exactly why. He says it's because they are a stiff-necked people. And if for a single moment he should go with them, he would consume them, destroy them. Stiff-necked people, that means that they are stubborn. The word, um, we might use a similar phrase of hard-headed now. God is saying that he, he knows this people and he knows that they are going to be persistent in their sin. Yes, he has atoned for this idolatry and sin that has happened before, but they are stubborn and they are going to sin again and they are going to make idols again and they are going to worship them again. And as God 
almost destroyed them that first time. He doesn't want to destroy them um, when he, for the sins that he knows that they're going to commit. Um, yeah, he's, he's, yeah, what, what they've done has happened and he's, he's atoned for it, but, but he knows what is coming and he knows that this is going to be a repeated pattern and a repeated cycle. And that means that he has to change the way that he is acting towards them. It's a little bit like if you, have, if you drive, if you have a car, um, if you let your friend like, drive your car and take your car, imagine you do that and the first time they go and drive it, they crash it and it gets written off. You'd probably be pretty annoyed with your friend. Um, and they might apologize. Hopefully, they would apologize. <laughs> um, and they might help you to buy a new car. They might give you the money um, to replace it. And maybe you would do that. Um, and maybe you would forgive them um, for having crashed that car. Um, and, and you buy yourself a new car with the money that they've given you. And your, your friends, again, all is atoned for. But you're very unlikely, aren't you, to give them the keys again <laughs> and let them drive again <laughs> um, and get back in that car. It's sort of similar. God has, um, got, like the people and God, they've made up, but God is not going to go with them because he can't go, go back into a situation where he knows that they are just going to sin again. And actually, this isn't for his sake. It's not because he like likes to be distant. <laughs> It's for theirs. It's actually, it's a kind of mercy. He doesn't want to destroy them for their sins. He doesn't want to, like, cast them off the face of the earth. But he is a holy God, and if he is with them, that is what he will have to do. Um, and so he offers them this, like, a deal. He's like, I will still give you the blessing. I will send you into this land, and you will be blessed, and all my promises I will fulfill for you. Um, but you can do that without the threat of my presence being with me, with you. And you might think that that is a great deal. They can go into the promised land, they can have peace, their enemies will be driven out, they'll like, be provided for, there'll be enough food, it says it's a land flowing with milk and honey. You might, and, and they'll get all of that without the threat of this holy God that might destroy them if they like, step out of line. But the people, they don't think this is a great deal. The people start mourning. <laughs> This is expressed in like, the, the removing of their, their jewelry, their ornaments, it says. These same things that they took off in order to make the golden calf, they are taking off again this time as an act of, of mourning and of um, yeah, like devastation that their God is not going with them. It's like God is now a husband who has said he will provide for them financially, but who's not going to live with them, not going to be with them the marriage is going to look very different there. God here is saying that he is going to have to be a God who is distant, far off, inaccessible, unapproachable. Um, he's still promising his blessings for them, but he's promising it without his presence. And that rightly causes them to mourn because God is so much more than just the blessings that he is giving them. He is the covenant God who wanted to be a husband to his people, who wanted them to know him and for them to know him. He wanted them to be able to draw near to him. And actually, this is what the people wanted as well. That's why they were building the cow, is because they wanted this, a God that they could see and be with and, and look to. And that is who God had said he was going to be to them. And now, it looks like it's all gone. <laughs> um, 
I wonder if we were in this, like a similar position of God promising to give us all the blessings that we wanted, um, all the things we wanted, the job, the relationship, the car that isn't written off. Um, If God had promised to give you all of the blessings that, that you might want in your life, but without his presence, would you take that deal? Are you seeking him? Or are you seeking his presence? And I know that myself, when I was reading this, I was like, um, I think I wouldn't take that deal. I'm definitely, definitely seeking God and not just the things he provides. And then I asked myself some different questions of, um, of do, I, do I go to him more when I'm struggling and when I have needs or when things are good and when things are going well? Do I, when I pray, for him, pray to him, Do I ask him more for him to provide things for me? Do I ask him more to do things for me? Or do I ask him to come and be with me? Do I ask him to show me more of his self? It's so easy to slip into this thinking that, um, or to like not realize that you're slipping into this idea that you're becoming apathetic to God's presence because actually you just want the stuff. He wants more for you than that though. He doesn't want to be a God that is blessing you from afar. He does want to bless you. But he wants to bless you primarily and mostly with himself. He's still a God that wants to be with us and give us himself. He is still this covenant God. And he is still the greatest thing that we could have is him himself. Um, Yeah, he doesn't want to be a God that is distant and far removed. Um, He is the God of the presence. And so back to Israel, they, they need a way to be reconciled to God's presence. But the problem is that they are stubborn, as we've seen, and the problem is is that they will sin. So what's the solution? Actually, it's very similar to what we saw last week and in the last passage. The solution is the intercession of Moses. Um, And we're going to read it in just a second. But that word intercession, it just means somebody who is able to talk to another person on a different person's behalf. Like if I was going to talk to Duncan on Helena's behalf, I would be interceding. Um, between Duncan and Helena, although that, I've never had to do that because they are friends. (laughs) Um, So the solution to this big problem of God's presence not going with them is that Moses is going to intercede. And here's what happens in Exodus chapter 33 from verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know who you will send with me. Yet you've said... Yet you've said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my, he said, that's God, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, Moses again, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Now, that conversation, again, is a bit, bit confusing. Um, so I'm just going to paraphrase really quickly. 
here Moses is saying, God, okay, you're sending us out and you're sending this angel ahead of us, but who will be with us, God? Um, and he's saying, please, please be with us. Come with us. Don't, don't send us if you're not going. God says, yeah, okay, I will go with you. And Moses says, okay, but if you're not going to, don't even send us because we don't want to be apart from your presence. And God says this wonderfully merciful thing. He says, what, like this thing that you've asked me, Moses, I'm going to do this. I will go with you because I love you, because you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. We see Moses interceding for Israel. He is pleading persistently for God to go with the people, and God, in his compassion and in his mercy, agrees. The persistent prayer of Moses means that God relents and accompanies them out out into the desert, out to the promised land, this promise that he's made, this, this plan to come and to pitch his tent among them, tabernacle with them, it is back on. It's restored. Um, and this might look a bit strange to us, because it might look like God is just flip-flopping between like, I'm going to pitch my tent among you. No, I won't. Okay, yes, fine, I will. Um, and it's a bit like really easy to read it and be like, is he just changing his mind? What's going on? Is God actually really fickle? Does he not know what his plan is? Does he not know what he's doing? Um, And I would say to all of these questions, no. (laughs) But I think, I think that this interaction, this whole thing is actually for the benefit of Israel. It's for them to see the consequence of their sin. For them to see... um, that they are in real danger when they are confronted with God's holiness and that it is important that they commit themselves to him properly. But I think it is also God showing them the pattern that he has chosen for their salvation and for them to be reconciled to him. Because you see, this people, they need that intercessor. They need a mediator. And I think that 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 was always God's plan. was to provide this people with an intercessor, a mediator, someone that could come between them. And I think this whole interaction is teaching these people that they need somebody to come and intercede on their behalf. And later, that's going to look like priests that will serve and minister in the temple as an ongoing intercession. But here we are, right at the beginning of the nation being formed, and straight away God is showing them, you need somebody to come and stand in the gap between me and you because I am a holy God and you are a sinful people and this isn't going to work unless there is someone in the gap. Um, And this mediator that God is setting up, this system that he is establishing right at the beginning of, of establishing the nation of Israel, it needs to be somebody that has the favor of God. It needs to be somebody who he loves There at the end, he says, I'm going to do this, Moses, because you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And so it's through this intercession, through this mediator, not only is the people being represented to God, but also God's love, God's mercy, God's favor, and his blessing can overflow through the mediator onto the rest of the people. Through this intercessor and mediator that God is setting up, The people are able to come before God, but also God's favor and blessing and mercy can continue to flow to the people. And actually, if you were to read on, you would see then 
Moses asking to see God's glory and God showing him that as well, revealing more of himself to Moses than ever before, deep parts of his character. And, and Moses afterwards going back into the camp after having seen God's glory and like the glory like radiating off him in a very real way. This mediator and intercessor is bringing God's glory back into the camp. Moses had to wear a veil to cover it. I'm getting off track. Um, but God, I think, placed this situation, or like orchestrated this situation, this conversation, that the people would be able to see not only that they are sinful and that he is holy, but also to see their great need for someone to come and, and stand in the gap for them. Um, and that, that last line of, of, that God says, because you've spoken this, Moses, I will do it, because you've found favor in my sight and I know you by name. Um, I don't I want us to think here that God is just begrudgingly relenting because Moses, he likes Moses. I don't want us to think here that God cares for Moses, but actually he's not really a fan of the people, and so he's just doing it for Moses' sake and just kind of going along with it because he likes Moses and he wants Moses to be blessed and happy. I don't think that's what's happening at all. And for us to see that, we have to zoom out a little bit and remember that this is the God that made a covenant that marriage contract with the whole people of Israel. This is the God that called them all out of Egypt. If it was just that he liked Moses, he could have hung out with him in the desert, with leaving the Israelites in Egypt. He didn't. He called them out. He committed himself to them. He has betrothed himself to Israel. And listen to how he speaks of this new Israel that has formed um, a lot later on from, through the prophet Hosea. Um, as God is recalling this stage of Israel's life, he says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim, that's Israel, to walk. I took them up by their arms. But they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. It wasn't convenient or lucky here that Moses was placed to intercede and that God's like plan to come and be with his people could go ahead. This was planned by a God who was leading Israel with cords of kindness and bands of love. This was an orchestrated situation by the God who cares for his people. This is the God. He, he rescued Moses as a baby. He called him while he was out in the desert. He sent him to go to the Israelites. He placed Moses in this exact position that he would be able to mediate when the people mess up so badly. God knew that Israel needed a mediator, and so he provided one. And now as I've been talking, you might recognize that we are, were or are in a similar situation to Israel. We, if we are Christians, we can celebrate that, that we have peace with God now, that atonement has been made for our sins. We've been washed by the blood of Jesus. But what do we do when we sin again? Because although we've been justified, although we've been called righteous, I know for myself that my, my sin continues, that each day I discover parts of myself that I don't like and I don't want there. 
all the time I'm realizing that the thoughts I'm having are more about my, like, less about like compassionateness and kindness than I want them to be, and actually far more about my own gain, about selfishness, about pride. All the time I realize I am still so far from this righteousness that God has bestowed on me and called me to be. And so what do we do in that situation as we continue to sin? What do we do in the cycles of sin that we feel trapped in? How do we as Christians live with both the joy of being justified and saved and washed clean when we're so aware of our stubbornness and our continued sin? How do we balance those two things? How do we come into the presence of God when we're so aware of our failure and the mess that we're carrying? How do we draw in and not live this life where we're kind of coming into the presence of God and then pulling back out again when we realize that we're sinful and then kind of coming in again and then pulling back out again. Um, Like, depending on how deserving that we think we are. Well, the answer is similar. Just as God placed Moses in a position to be able to intercede, just as God saw that Moses needed someone, no, just as Israel needed an ongoing system of someone to intercede, God knows that we need an intercessor. He knows that we need somebody in an ongoing position to be able to plead for us and stand in the gap for us. And he has sent someone else to intercede now for us. Someone who has his favor. When Jesus came to earth, he really early on in his ministry, or before his ministry, he, he got baptized. And as he did, he like, came out the water. And it says that the heavens opened, the clouds parted, and that God said over him, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Don't you want him to be your intercessor? (laughs) Don't you want him to be the one that's mediating this one who is God's son, who has his favor, who he is pleased with? Great news, that's our intercessor. This is the one that is mediating for us. It is the one who is favored by God above all else because he is his son. And, and as we know, he, he came to earth and lived on earth to die for us, sacrifice himself for us, make peace for us. And, and that is a complete work that is finished. And because of his blood on us, we are justified. And he calls us righteous. But some more fun news is that that was not the end of Jesus' work. In in the New Testament, it talks again and again of Jesus being someone who is an ongoing intercessor for us. In Romans 8, it says, Christ Jesus is the one who dies. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. In 1 John, it says, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Hebrews 7, it says, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him through God, since he always lives to make intercession for them. By his 
ongoing and continued intercession, we have ongoing and continued access to the presence of God to come and stand before our Father and know him. We don't have to do that weird dance of coming into his presence and out of his presence, depending on how deserving we think we are. We can rely on him and his intercession for us. Even as we are flawed and failing and sinful, we look to our intercessor and we see that he is still pleading his blood over us and it is still enough to cleanse us. It's still enough. We don't have to be people that live our lives like, like we've crashed God's car. And, and yeah, okay, we've made up for it and he's cool with us, but we shouldn't get back in the car. He invites you to come and get back in the car. Day by day, he is interceding with us for us. Every moment, he is interceding for us, constantly standing before the Father and pleading his blood over us. And again, it's not because the Father is apathetic towards us, but the Father delights to have placed his Son before him to constantly intercede for us. And the Father delights to constantly say, yes, yes, they can come into my presence. Yes, I will go with them. Yes, I will pour out my Spirit on them day by day. And this is such a great comfort to us. We can know that when we sin, when we fail, as we fall short of his righteousness, all of those things and reasons that we feel and can find ourselves not approaching God because of and feeling that we're just not quite worthy enough today, in all of those, we can look to the sun. In no way do we have to top up or maintain our own salvation. We never did. It's always been the work of Jesus on our behalf. Um, Can I invite... Jordan and Kayla back up. Um, I, as I was um, reading this passage and praying about this and thinking about Jesus's intercession for us and ongoing work on our behalf, um, I just got a bit of a sense that maybe God wanted to, um, God wanted to remind us of that, <laughs> remind us of his ongoing presence with us, remind us that we are able to continue to draw near and have intimate relationship because of his intercession, that he wants us to be free of our sin, but also free of um, that power that means that we, we feel unable to come to him. He wants us to be free of that place we put ourselves in where we can't actually approach God properly because we, we've put something in the way or we're aware of our sin. Um, yeah, I just got this sense that maybe God wanted us to be a people, or maybe definitely wants us to be a people who are free again, to be a people that know that where we stand, we are righteous. We are justified to be able to constantly and um, confidently say that about ourselves because we know that that is what God is saying over us. And I also, um, yeah, like that we don't have to um, draw away if we don't feel like we've repented well enough. Um, and I want to make clear that that doesn't mean that we should have a mindset of not really caring about our sin or thinking that it doesn't matter, um, but that we should have a mindset of knowing that in every way Jesus has won a victory for us and continues to claim that victory for us. Um, and so Kayla and Jordan are going to play. Um, I think we've got time to sing maybe a verse, and then we're going to invite some people to the front, um, not because there is anything special about this space, um, but because we want to stand with you and we want to pray for you. Um, if you. If you know that you have been kind of living in that weird in and out way with God, 
if you know that there are things that you put in the way, if you've forgotten um, or want to realign the fact that you have an intercessor who is constantly mediating, constantly for you, um, we would just love to pray with you and stand with you in that. We would love to see you set free of feelings of failure, um, that you haven't lived up to the righteousness of God. He knew that you wouldn't, and so he put an intercessor in place for you. Um, So if that's you, we'll invite you to the front so we can stand and pray with you in in a moment. But right now, I'm just going to pass back to Jordan.